Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Hope you're well uh, dealing with the coronavirus and everything that comes with it. Uh, big weekend for me, uh, coronavirus weekend. I uh, went walking, uh, went to Walmart, so that was a bit out of control when we did that. Um, yes, we just got in and out. Felt like a little bit like a bank robber. Just boom, in, out, and we're gone. Uh, and big date night this weekend. Uh, my wife and I went to the grocery store. So uh, exciting times here. Uh, but look, obviously serious stuff. And on the podcast today, some more serious stuff. Donna Rice Hughes. And you say, hmm, now that name seems familiar. I just can't place it. Well, you know what? Take out the Hughes. And you get Donna Rice. That's right. Donna Rice from the big 1987 scandal with president presidential candidate, I should say, Gary Hart. You know, Gary Hart was one of the front runners for the 1988 nomination. Then allegations of an extramarital affair with Donna Rice surfaced. And that, well, that was the end of that. Anyhow, her story doesn't end that way. She's completely turned her life around. And for roughly the last 20 years or so, she's been the CEO of Enough is Enough Their mission is to make the Internet safer for children and family. And she really has been an advocate and a speaker on the issue of protecting children online. How crucial is that? We're going to speak with her today on the podcast. And of course, her message is timely. If you think about it now more than ever, because due to COVID-19, kids are spending so much more time online now as they sit around at home. And yes, let's face it, a lot of our kids are sitting around at home. I know they're supposed to be doing schoolwork. Okay, look, they're online and they're online a lot. And that means more time for sexual predators and traffickers to go after them. She calls it a pandemic. She's correct. It is a pandemic against our children. She calls it a spiritual war. And Donna Rice Hughes explains more of that on the podcast today. But first, the coronavirus. And let me say right now, I'm just going to say it. I'm ticked. And it's not because we ran out of ginger snaps over the weekend. And it is not because my beloved New York Mets haven't won a World Series in 35 years. It's not even because all I do is walk all day since everything's closed. It's not because of anything like that. No, folks, I'm ticked because of the horrible and unbalanced reporting that I'm seeing out there in the mainstream media when it comes to the coronavirus. Now, remember, we are just the news. That's right, justthenews.com. And there's a reason for that, because this just in, we do just the news. Now, look, I have an example that will last a lifetime on this. I have tons of examples uh, from the mainstream media and what they do. But I want to focus on one story in particular that popped up over the weekend And this one is important, unlike some others from fringe websites on your typical uh, liberal website. We're not talking about that. We're talking about an article from the Associated Press. And in case you didn't know, uh, they are important, right? I mean, the AP writes 
an article and then it's picked up by virtually everyone, hundreds and hundreds of newspapers across the country. Basically, in essence, they have a huge voice, folks, in shaping the news that we all see. So that's why this article is important. That's why it ticked me off. And I want to go through this article one by one. All right, we're going to break it down. I'm calling this segment The Anatomy of a Biased Story because that's exactly what it was. All right, here's the headline. Ready? Here we go. U.S. wasted, that's the word they used, U.S. wasted months before preparing for virus pandemic. Now, look, basically the gist of the story is that federal agencies pretty much waited until mid-March or so to begin placing bulk orders on these respirator, uh, uh, respirator masks and uh, ventilators and all the other equipment needed by the, the healthcare workers. So let's do a, di a quick disclaimer before we get into this. All right. Nobody's saying that everything was perfect coming from the Trump administration. Obviously, uh, tough questions need to be asked. And I think we can all agree that mistakes were made, not just by the Trump administration, but every country's government dealing with this. I mean, look, we've never seen anything like this. However, with this story in particular, this is what I take issue with specifically and what really got me ticked off. It's a lack of balance in the story. It's totally one-sided and biased. So I want to explain why. And I also want to reveal how the media goes about this deception. It does not give you the full story. All right. So here we go. The headline of the article says U.S. wasted months before, before preparing for virus pandemic. Now, Let's break that down for, for a moment. Wasted. Hmm. That's a pretty strong word. So as you look in the article, that term waste is actually said by none other than Kathleen Sebelius, Health and Human Services Secretary during the Obama administration, not exactly a nonpartisan source. She is quoted in the article as saying, we basically wasted two months. So they put the whole headline of the art. Remember, the headline's the key here, right? I mean, the headline is the one that a lot of people grab onto, they gravitate to, and most people don't even read into the story. They just see the headline and just go with it. And they're taking a headline and using the word waste from a nonpartisan, uh, excuse me, from a, uh, a partisan source. She's definitely not nonpartisan for sure. Then the article goes on to say this. This is a quote from the article. HHS did not respond to questions about why federal officials waited to order medical supplies until stocks were running critically low. But of course, what they never answer is, well, how long did they wait for a response? Was it 24 hours? I need something by the end of the day. Was it a week? Was it two weeks? Was this how much of an investigation was this specifically? How long were they working on the story? I think that's important information to know. Then the article says, quote, more than three months after China revealed the first COVID-19 cases, Trump finally relented last week, saying he will order companies to ramp up production of critical supplies. And here's the here's the line. By then, confirmed cases of COVID-19 within the United States had surged to, ready, the highest in the world. Now, hold on for a second. Let's think about that. They never actually say the percent of people dying. In other words, per capita in terms of other countries, Italy, Spain, they're way up there in terms of the per capita death rate. Okay, of course the United States is going to have the highest number of cases in the world. They've got 350 million people or so in this country compared to Italy and Spain. I mean, look, Spain has, what is it now? I mean, roughly, I'm saying, is it 11,000, 13,000, something along those lines, deaths in a country of 45 million people. If you look at the per capita of the United States compared to other countries, they're about 2%. Uh, on the death rate if you get coronavirus compared to, a, what is it, 11%, 12% in Italy and other places. So that information never put in the article whatsoever. But here's my biggest beef. Here it is. 
The article says this, Trump spent January and February playing down the threat from the new virus. Let me read that again. Trump spent January and February playing down the threat from the new virus. Really, Associated Press? In January, there was one case in Washington state. And listen to all of this. On January 17th, the CDC actually began implementing public health entry screening at three U.S. airports that received the most travelers from Wuhan. So they, they were doing the screening at San Francisco uh, Airport, uh, JFK, and in Los Angeles. That was in January, okay? January 21st, Dr. Anthony Fauci, we know all about the, doc, the good doctor. We see him every day on television. It's like days of our lives. Uh, and here's what he told Newsmax in an interview. This is in January. Remember, the article says, Trump spent January and February playing down the threat from the new virus. Here's what the good doctor said, quote, this is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. So that's the good doctor. So you hear the media all the time saying, Trump, stop playing doctor. Listen to your doctor. So do you want Trump to listen to the scientists and the doctors or not? Well, there you go. The scientist himself, Fauci himself, said in January, this is not a major threat for the people of the United States. But yet you have an issue with Trump downplaying the, the, the issue, even though his top doctor is saying that. Let's move on. January 29th. This is all in January. White House announces the formation of a coronavirus task force. Uh, on, on January 31st, the Trump administration, excuse me, the Trump administration declared the coronavirus a public health emergency. They announced tra uh, Chinese travel restrictions on that same day, January 31st. And they announced that four nationals who had traveled to China in the past 14 days would be denied entry into the United States. So this is all going on in January when the Associated Press said pretty much Trump was doing nothing and ignored it. February. Now we're into February. The CDC has a team ready to travel to China to obtain critical information on the coronavirus. They're, they're delayed. They never get in. Uh, the Chinese playing games with stalling. Then, and this is in their own story later on, the Associated Press says this. On February 24th, the White House sent Congress an initial $2.5 billion funding request to address the coronavirus outbreak. So let me get this straight. I mean, you can see, did you hear the rise in my voice? I'm kind of getting ticked off a little bit. The article says Trump spent January and February playing down the virus. And then in their own article, they say the White House in February actually sent Congress $2.5 billion request to address the coronavirus outbreak. You're kidding me, right? Then, oh, we're not done, February 26th, we're still in February, Trump actually says, this is a quote from Donald Trump, I think every aspect of our society should be prepared. That's downplaying the, the, the coronavirus? He says this in February. Also on February 26th, pre, uh, Trump names Vice President Mike Pence to actually coordinate the government's, government's response to the coronavirus. Oh, my goodness gracious. So all of that... Um, uh, in January and February, you don't hear any of that, any of that in the Associated Press article. That's what I'm talking about. You have to be very, very careful. We'll get to the final conclusion here in a moment. All right. Then the article goes on to say this. Trump, during a White House briefing on March 26th, claimed that he had inherited an empty shelf from the Obama administration, but added that we're really filling it up and we'll fill it up rapidly. And then the article goes on to say, Excuse me. Federal purchasing records, however, show that the Trump administration delayed making big orders for additional supplies until the virus had taken root and was spreading. Well, hold on for a second. Time out. 
So no mention from the Associated Press of the conclusions about the Obama administration's role in this. So they tell you in the article, right, about how Trump said that the Obama administration gave him an empty shelf, but they never confirm that this is actually true. How do I know? Well, it's obvious. First of all, USA Today did a fact check on this claim. The USA Today, okay, not necessarily a bastion of conservatism. And they concluded the following on this charge that Trump says he was left an empty shelf. Quote, this is from the USA Today. There is no indication that the Obama administration took significant steps to replenish the supply of N95 masks in the strategic national stockpile after it was depleted from repeated crisis. Call, uh, crises, excuse me. Calls for action came from experts at the time concerned for the country's ability to respond to future serious pandemics. Such recommendations were, for whatever reasons, not heeded. <sighs> I need a breath. I need an excedrin. And quite frankly, someone needs to give me some Pepto-Bismol because after reading this article, I was ticked off. Where do I even conclude here? Let me just start with this. First of all, there you have it. This is the anatomy of a biased story. Now, why did I just go through all of this? Well, here's why. You need to be a smart consumer of what you read. We always hear about the liberal biased news media. Well, here's the trick. Here's what they do. They create a narrative based on a certain set of facts or statements, but many times they avoid the context or the perspective or simply facts that just wouldn't fit into their convenient narrative that they're trying to tell. And this article is a perfect example of that. So be careful. Don't just take headlines at face value. And when you get to the body of the story, understand you probably aren't getting the full picture. You have to be a smart consumer. And guess what, folks? The liberal media knows that most folks are not gonna research for themselves. They don't have the time. And the problem with an AP story like this is it spreads like wildfire. As we said, hundreds and hundreds of newspapers. It becomes cable TV news segments and it makes its way into the evening news and in essence into the subconscious and honestly conscience of the American people. And that's how narratives are defined. And that's what the media does. Hopefully I have given you something to think about when it comes to the media landscape out there. Oh. I need a lawn chair, I need a pina colada, and I need a beach. I'm done. All right, back in a moment with talk of another pandemic in America, child exploitation, Donna Rice Hughes, coming next on The Pod's Honest Truth. And welcome back to The Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. All right, time now to talk about the pandemic. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about the pandemic when it comes to child exploitation. What is happening online and what our children are seeing is horrific. And guess what, folks? We're not talking about softcore stuff. We're talking about hardcore pornography. And we're talking about how kids as young as six, seven, eight years old are checking this stuff out online. It is a sexual predator's playground out there with these kids. And especially during this COVID-19 crisis, more kids are online, which means the danger is even higher. We speak with Donna Rice Hughes, the CEO of Enough is Enough about this horrible pandemic that's out here or out there. Here she is, Donna Rice Hughes. Donna Rice Hughes, uh, great to see you on Zoom. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the Pod's Honest Truth podcast. Thank you, David. It's so good to be with you. 
let me ask you, let's start obviously with uh, what everybody's been talking about, the news of the day, COVID-19. First of all, personal note, how is everybody over where you are? Uh, is everybody safe and, and okay at this point? We are, we're doing good. Um, we're doing virtual office 24 yeah. seven, it seems like right now in Northern Virginia. My husband and I and our kids and grandkids are in California. Everybody's locked down and, and hopefully practicing social distancing and doing everything that the White House and the CDC is telling us to do. Right. And I know that the Department of Justice has also weighed in on this because there's this idea, obviously, with kids at home more and parents yes. have to be more digital, uh, vigilant. Excuse me. Uh, and talk to me a little bit about uh, it, the Internet and pornography and child exploit, exploitation, because this is what, uh, in essence, you have devoted your life to and your right. organization is all about. So tell me a little bit about what uh, some of the dangers that could be out there during this COVID-19 uh, crisis that we're going through. Yes, David, um, since we're talking about and everybody's thinking about COVID pandemic, um, there are other epidemics and even pandemics, I would say, with respect to the dangers that our children are being exposed to and are vulnerable to all the time on the internet. And they have free and easy access to hardcore pornography. This is not the, the old softcore variety that was too far <laughs> along generations, but um, they're exposed to extreme content now and it's looking for them. So kids can accidentally come across this. Also, sexual predators and sex traffickers, I include those in the same category because they use the same tactics. Uh, they are looking for vulnerable children constantly and where kids play, predators prey. And so the fact now that kids are at home more, they may be using technology more, means that parents need to be even more vigilant. Um, and it's a great opportunity, if you will, for parents that are so busy uh, when the kids are in school and running them to practice and this, that, and the other, whatever it is that they're doing, to now take the time to, to, to reset with their kids and what their kids are doing online because their kids are in fact vulnerable. Doesn't matter how good they are, how smart they are, how uh, much of a leader they are in their, in, their, um, in their groups at church. The reality is these dangers are there because we have an open internet. And that is up to the parents to actually scale back that access by using the safety mechanisms and the technology tools that are available to them to make sure their kids are having a safe and rewarding experience and using the internet for all the great things that it has to offer, which are abundant, uh, just like even Zoom uh, and, uh, and, and all the things that we're using now, but also to safeguard them from the dangers online. And they are, um, large and growing child pornography images um, for example are are exploding they have exploded there are over 45 million that were reported last year those are just the ones that were, are reported and many of these kids are, are very young children and infants and we know from the department of justice that they cannot prosecute their way out of this we're trying to get them to start to prosecute the hardcore obscenity laws which they haven't done since john ashcroft was in under bush too so so really a lot of the burden does fall on the parents and we've got all the information they need to learn how to protect their kids at internetsafety101.org 
So Donna, when you mentioned safety mechanisms and for parents listening out there, what, what are you referring to? I mean, I'm assuming filters, but there's more than just filters out there. What, what Absolutely. We break this down into common sense um, safety measures for the parents to take. We call those the rules. They're not the rules for the kids. They're the rules for the parents. Right. We just run through a few of those. And that is spending time online with your kids and having regular conversations and communications with your kids. So if your kids are online every day, you need to be having regular conversations with them every day. Who are you talking to? Um, have you friended somebody else if they're on social media? By the way, the age break there is 13. So if they're under 13, they should not be on social media. And even then, it's not terribly safe. But we can talk a little bit about apps in a minute. Um, if they're playing games, same thing. The games are usually connected to the internet. So if you only want your child to play games with people that you approve, we call that a parent approved gamer list or buddy list. And that should also be the same in social media. The parent needs to be approving who that child can communicate with online, whether it be gaming, social media, or just by email, right? Because they're dangerous people, just like they're good people and good and safe people out there. Right. So those are two of the most important things. If you do allow your kids to, to, to play games or to go on social media, as the, as the parent, be on those sites as well. Get to know them and decide for yourself if you think that they're safe and if your child is mature enough and responsible enough to use them and to also abide by the house rules that you lay down for them to keep themselves safe. Now, on the technology tools, these are just as important. Um, parents need to use the parental control tools that are available to them. Now, um, for instance, the gaming devices have their own parental control tools. We always recommend at a minimum, turn on the filters, they work. Turn on the monitoring technology. That allows you as the parent to often get a report card and see what your kids are doing. They're trying to break out of the, that filtering, for instance. Mm -hmm. And set time limits. Again, very, very important. So all of this is magnified because everything in our life right now is magnified. So we get an opportunity as parents to reset with our kids, to have these conversations and to learn this technology because really you've got to be a good cyber parent. And if you're not willing to do that, then I recommend that you do not let your kids use a lot of the technology that's available to them. Because it really comes down to the parent. It's interesting because that was kind of transitioning my next question about parental involvement. I mean, parental involvement is obviously crucial to all of this. And we're living in the day and age in our society, and you've seen it. You've been in the, this long enough to know that society is changing. Parental involvement is becoming less and less. Uh, right. How much of a struggle is that, especially in this day and age now? There's always that balance between using technology for all the good and beneficial ways that it can be used that's terrific but then also balancing that to where it doesn't become addictive your kids are not in danger and that there there's just that that good balance and now is the perfect opportunity to um, really practice those time limits uh, with with the with the technology get your kids out at springtime most places in the United States, get them out more in learning how to, to, to be active and have real uh, communications outside, learn how to play outside and do those kinds of things. And um, one of the things that, that we just I just recently wrote about is the silver linings 
in this whole pandemic that we're dealing with. We now are spending a closer amount of time with our, with our friends if we're social isolating and we need to, we need to make our, sure our kids are doing the same thing. Hmm. So we can teach them a lot about that and, and, and getting back to the basics um, and learning to show kindness. Um, I think that, um, you know, where we are now, just for instance, practicing social distancing is a wonderful way to be intentional about showing kindness and applying the golden rule to everyone that you come into contact with. This is so key because so many people I don't, I'm seeing as I'm out there, I go to the grocery store occasionally, they're not practicing all of these things. And I just, it, it concerns me a great deal. So we've got a good opportunity here. And also to get back to the basis, basics of just uh, family, God, family, and friends. And we can use the technology to connect with family. Think of what a blessing that is. Yeah. Um, if you can't, if your kids can't see your, the grandparents because they're in that high-risk category, you can Zoom, you can FaceTime, you can Skype, you can use the technology in all these wonderful ways. I want to ask you about the, your um, about your work with the Department of Justice. I mean, let's be mm -hmm. honest. Uh, I'll say it. You don't have to. You've been a trendsetter in this business. Uh, Internet Safety 101, the program adopted, uh, in essence, by the Department of Justice, and it is everywhere that you look. Well, what has that relationship been like back to John Ashcroft, to uh, at, at this point, you know, during this administration with Jeff Sessions and now Bill Barr? What's that relationship been like? I know every time we try and, and talk, you're like, I'm at the Department of Justice, so you're there, <laughs> you're there quite a bit. Tell me a little bit about that activity. Well, um, I have to say that I'm very, very pleased with this Department of Justice. Um, I believe that a, a Attorney General Barr is the man for this job, because like I said at the beginning of our, our time together, David, um, there, we're thinking about the pandemic of COVID-19, but there's a pandemic of child sexual exploita exploitation on the internet. It's not just in this country, it's worldwide. And um, we actually wrote the Children's Internet Safety Presidential Pledge in 2016. And we asked candidate Clinton and candidate Trump that if they were elected to appoint an attorney general that would aggressively enforce all the existing laws on the books to better protect children in the digital world. And we also asked the president to advance new policies um, that are needed to fill these loopholes in the law. And we've seen with this Congress and this administration so many new uh, policies with respect to sex trafficking, uh, child uh, pornography content, we call that child sex abuse images. Now what we're really pushing for is to get this Department of Justice to aggressively enforce the obscenity, and that's the hardcore graphic content. And kids, David, I'm sorry to say this, I know that this is another scary thing, but you've got to hear this. Kids as young as 10 years old, 8 and 10 years old, make up about 25% of the, the porn users of the under 18 category. Wow. And I know it's crazy, and 10 to 14-year-olds make up 36% of the under 18 category, and they're not looking at the soft stuff. They're looking at sexual assault content. They're looking at violent content. They're looking at um, anal sex. This has become their sex education model, and they are modeling this behavior. So we've got to recognize that we are in a spiritual war. Yes, we have got to get these laws enforced because we're the top producer 
and distributor of this content in the world. And it drives demand for trafficking victims. It drives the demand for the child sex abuse images. And it's, it's driving so many things and, and it's straight from the pit. And so it's a, it's a spiritual battle. We need to pray about this, use all the tools that we just talked about for parents to use. And then we also are asking companies and businesses like Starbucks and McDonald's, we just had great victories with them recently, asking them to voluntarily filter child sex abuse images and, and, and this extreme pornography on their Wi-Fi networks. And so we were asking colleges to do the same thing and all the industries to do this because we need those layers of protection. And I can tell you what, one of the things that excites me most about the silver linings of, of COVID-19, it's hard to think about that because real people are getting sick and real people are dying. When we talk about flattening the curve, those are real people, right? right? With real families who love them and are suffering horribly. But we have seen a model work with this, where the private sector and the, the, the government sector, Congress can actually work together. These are unifying issues, fighting COVID, protecting kids online. They're unifying issues that do not divide us. And so that we can tackle other issues in our culture once we get past this, because now we see that it works and it works well, when we all roll up our sleeves and take it seriously as we need to. Donna, on the obscenity laws or the enforcement of the obscenity laws, how much of a heavy lift is that over at DOJ? I mean, do you get a sense that you're making headway or, or how much more headway needs to be made? Is Bill Barr on board with something like this? I believe he is on board, but as you know, Bill Barr has not been in for that long yeah. and he's been drinking out of a fire hose <laughs> since he <laughs> has been. Um, and, and this is one of the things that I find most troubling about the divisiveness of our partisan politics, because it has actually prevented our elected leaders and our appointed leaders from really being able to do the job of the people. And one of those is to enforce the rule of law and not constantly be putting out fires all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I, he's prosecuted these, um, these kinds of cases when he was the attorney general before he cares about it, and he's a new sheriff in town. This is a tough guy. I mean, you want him in this role. I think he's terrific. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the thing right now is to get them to, to figure out how to allocate their resources and their prosecutors to be able to do this. And what we have seen is that members of Congress and the House and the Senate have sent letters to A.G. Barr asking him to start bringing these obscenity prosecutions and they've cited the children's internet safety pledge that that we uh, that donald trump signed it's on our website you can just go to enough.org and that was so successful david that we also launched the governor's pledge and the governor of south carolina henry mcmaster is partnering with that with that um on that pledge with us and we're reaching out to all the governors in the united states we also have a state attorney's general pledge to do the same thing. And we have 16 AGs. We have a Democrat and a Republican AG co-leading that effort with us. So, um, so we, we've got to have every, everybody on board, just like we're seeing with this pandemic with COVID. You see what the federal government can do. You see what state governments can do. And when you're talking about preserving and protecting the innocence of our children, from traffickers, mm -hmm. from, from pornographers, from sexual predators who enjoy 
raping children. You know, I mean, this is not happening overseas. It's happening here in the United States. We've all got to be all hands on deck on this. I have to ask you, I, I could go into a whole culture war situation there on that question. <laughs> we don't have time. We'll come back. We'll do that another day. But I do want to okay. ask about this, about this president. Uh, he signed the pledge. Uh, yes. Hillary Clinton said she would. Well, what did she say? She said she uh, she, was she supported it with a letter. She didn't okay. sign pledges. Right. Um, but she she did support it with a letter, and so we gave her all the kudos that that sure. we did with, with Donald Trump. Because look, this is nonpartisan. I say it's bipartisan. But it's really nonpartisan. You know, it's it well. It's interesting because I, I wonder what kind of push, if not pushback. I mean, there he is signing the pledge, and he's Donald Trump, and he's had a past, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. And and you're in this internet child pornography area. And I wonder if that was any sort of any consternation or at least any pushback that you got as it relates to Donald Trump, because he, I'm just wondering about how he's been so far as, as president in your, in your view on this. He, he has really, it's been amazing. It's not just Donald Trump. Yeah. It has been the first lady who's taken up cyberbullying and, and internet safety. Ivanka right. Trump has been the, the warrior, the champion within the White House just on trafficking alone. And so, um, and, and just remember when, when we wrote this, um, we asked for the aggressive enforcement of sex trafficking, child pornography images, sexual predators, and obscenity. So um, the, 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 the Playboy kinds of content and everything that he was on the cover of years ago and everything, that's not part of this because mm -hmm. that's protected speech for adults. But most of what's out there now on the Internet is extreme and it's, and it's prosecutable under our federal obscenity laws. And so um, we didn't get any pushback. So what the focus is now is for, for Barr to, to start bringing these prosecutions. And I've just been on the Hill, not that this is my job or anything, but talking to members of Congress, I'm saying they don't have the funding to do this. So we just wrote an appropriations request for the Department of Justice to get an increase in funding to prosecute these laws. And you know, I was just down there by my little lonesome talking to leaders like, you know, in Senator Graham's office and, and Congressman Adderholt, who's the um, head of uh, uh, Commerce Justice State in the House. You know, we're going to get this done. Now's the time. We have to seize the moment. Donna, one last question for you. It's the Dr. Phil portion of the show and <laughs> your faith. And I, I know it's so important to you. It's central to your life. And I just love the way, look, I grew up Jewish, right? Got bar mitzvah, the whole nine yards. I figure God has a sense of humor that my liberal Jewish mother watches the 700 Club. Uh, so God clearly has a sense of humor. But, you know, obviously back in the day with the tabloids and all of that, and you had those headlines and here you are that Jesus is able to rewrite uh, the first paragraph of our lives and really the whole life. And I'm just wondering what you, what you make of what he's done for you and, and how that journey has been for you. Oh, it's been an incredible journey. And David, I have to say, um, you're right. A lot of people came to know me in the 1987 scandal, just call it what it was. <laughs> and, um, and my whole life fell apart. I was 29 years old. And here, here's what a lot of people don't know. I was a serious born-again Christian in middle school, high school, and college. And I was in youth group. I was a summer missionary. I loved the Lord. I dated Christian guys. And I, like so many, once they graduate from college, I went prodigal. 
but there were some things that happened that I think was, was kind of prompt, you know, were catalysts for me getting into to a prodigal lifestyle. And one was I lost my virginity when I was date raped right after college. And, um, and I had also been sexually abused as a child. I never thought those things would impact me, but I started making some really bad choices, ended up in the middle of this uh, scandal. And, um, and my, everything just fell apart. Mm-hmm. Everything but the foundation that I had in my faith and my wonderful family and my old Christian friends who came around me. And I just say, God, I don't know how you're going to deal with this. Cause everybody said, take the millions of dollars and run because no woman has ever survived and been taken seriously and had credibility after something like this. And I said, well, no woman, but I'm going to be the first with God's help. And so I went underground for years, just refocused, built the foundations back up. I knew God's promises were true Mm -hmm. because I knew them. And so I knew that he had plans for me, plans for good and not for evil. I knew that he would cause all things to work together for good to those who he had called. And I I was a daughter of the most high God then. And so I came back to him and slowly but surely over seven years, he eventually brought me to work on this issue, which I talk about God's sense of humor. Hello. Right. (laughs) I had been the scandal queen in 1987 and he caused me to actually help launch an internet safety movement to protect children from sexual exploitation, pornography, all of these things. And we actually started that on Capitol Hill, flanked by members of Congress in the United States Senate and the entire media corps who had destroyed my life. And God used that and put me right back out there fighting this issue. And it brought restoration in my life. And my prayers have been answered because I wanted the pain. I wanted the devastation in my life to count for something bigger than me. That was my prayer. And it did, and it has, and we're still out there on the front lines, um, just duking it out all the time, just knowing that at some point, we're going to turn the curve on on these issues that are confronting our children. What a wonderful story. Always fighting the good fight. Uh, Donna Rice Hughes, a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you again. Thanks, David. It's good to be with you. That is Donna Rice Hughes on the Pod's Honest Truth. Once again, parents, it is time to step up. You heard Donna, this is indeed a pandemic against our kids. You can go to internetsafety101.org. That's internetsafety101.org to get the resources you need. And by the way, this Internet Safety 101 program and teaching series is actually used everywhere. I mean, educators use it, parents use it. And oh, by the way, it was done in partnership with the U.S. Department of Justice. Look, look, folks, this is serious stuff. And during this COVID-19 pandemic, the FBI has actually put out a warning about how parents should be extra cautious to protect their children who are home from school from predators. And look, I don't need to tell you this, but the world's a nasty place. And of course, we can trace all of that back to Adam and Eve and Genesis in the Bible because we do live in a sin-fallen world. However, that doesn't mean we just lay down defeated. God gave us free will. Yeah, free will to choose him, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, but also free will to fight the good fight, to do good in this world, everyone, to bring hope to others. Donna Rice Hughes is a great example of that. Until next time, 
on the Pod's Honest Truth. 